Well, good morning, everybody. We, we train them specially to do it like that. that see, it's becoming a bit of a, a signature thing. Uh, special greetings from Pastor Louis. He's ministering at the Shear Church plant this morning. Uh, it's just as they're busy growing and taking some important steps there, so he's uh, sharing the word of the Lord there this morning. I think we'd all agree, as we just turn our attention to uh, what I believe the Lord has us to share this morning, is that there's an element of us which, in each of us which is deeply spiritual. No matter how much we deny it or how rational we want to become, uh, there's an element of us that is truly and deeply spiritual, and that's because God has made, it, made us this way. Uh, we were doing some training uh, with our school staff uh, yesterday, actually, and someone made a very interesting comment. So it's hearsay, but it's, I think it's reliable hearsay. Is that okay? That even in some of the countries in the world where we would expect them to be least spiritual, they're spending billions of euros on spiritual things. The example I heard was that in the country of France, which, you know, if we think of it, it's quite a rational country, you know, French Revolution, all those things. Uh, One billion euros a year on consulting uh, fortune tellers and seances and things like that. It's a lot of money in a country which you would think is very, very secular. And so there's this need and hunger in everybody for the supernatural and for spiritual things. And we know that the supernatural is part of life. But sometimes as believers, we can struggle with how does the supernatural fit into our normal everyday lives as we live for Jesus And we stand in those places. And sometimes we find ourselves pulled to extremes. And so we want to uh, launch a little mini-series. We'll spend four Sundays. And we're entitling the series Naturally Supernatural. Because we want to examine this tension about how do we live our everyday lives before the Lord, but in a very supernatural way that is true to how God made us and true to what He wants to do, not only in us, but through us. But I think also many of you would agree that we know from what goes on around us in the world that there's a lot of deception and strange things that go on with supernatural things, both outside the church and sometimes, unfortunately, inside the church too. Or not. You, don't, you never heard of that. Okay. There's some danger in, in the, and areas where we really need to just look at how do we find a, a biblical, a real, authentic biblical spirituality as we live our Lives that we don't get pulled too much to being overly spiritual or actually just denying everything spiritual and being completely rational, even in, in and how we express our Christian faith. And so over the next couple of weeks, we want to, just to look at that a little bit, I want to allude to a scripture, and Pastor Louis will allude to it later again in the series. It's in the first book of Corinthians in chapter 1, from verse 22 to 24. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22 to 24. And Paul just under 2,000 years ago, is wrestling with the same thing. He's writing to the Corinthians, and there's different groups of people in the church in Corinth, but also in the Roman Empire at the time. And he refers to the Jews and to the the Greeks, and he's generalizing, but there's something interesting that he points out just in terms as, as he characterizes or as he generalizes about these two groups. So let's read it, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. Paul writes and he says, Jews demand signs. They demand spiritual things. They demand supernatural things. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. They're very natural. It must be rational. We must be able to understand it. But we, Paul speaks of his ministry, preach Christ crucified, the stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. 
But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. What's Paul saying here? He says there's an expectation from certain parts of the community, particularly the Jewish community in a sense, for the supernatural. And then there's other parts of the community in Corinth that are from a Greek background and they are rational and they're into wisdom. And he says we don't cater to either of those extremes. We preach Christ. Now the problem for the people from the Jewish background is that Jesus wasn't, the message of Jesus wasn't spiritual enough for them. It wasn't enough supernatural. They wanted signs every day. You know, like if I'm driving in the mall and God gives me a parking space close to the entrance, because then it's God. If it's far from the entrance, it's never God. That's a sign. And so we can get in, and sorry, if God does that for you, he loves you, that's what he does for you. Okay, that's completely fine. He's given me parking spaces too. Okay, just by way of illustration. All right. But there's this tendency that the Jews had that they want signs and Jesus died on a cross. That wasn't spiritual enough for them. But also for the Greeks, how could God die? That's not wise. That doesn't make sense. It's not rational enough. And so we have this tension that for the Jews, Christ's message was too reasonable. But for the Greeks, on the other hand, Jesus was too spiritual. And Paul speaks and he says that in the Christian church, the message of Jesus is a both-and message. It's not an either-or message. Christ is the power of God. There's enough supernatural power in the message of Jesus. And he's also the wisdom of God. But you need to step into Christ to understand that. And so there's this tension that not only the first century church leaders deal with, but us as believers today also need to deal with this. So as we embark on this series of Naturally Supernatural, we want to unpack what is it God calling us and saying to us today to live this supernatural life. Not a life that we're so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, to coin that phrase, but also a life that we're not so consumed with the material and the natural world that we don't make space for God and for supernatural things and for miracles to happen wherever we are and wherever we find ourselves to be. So we're going to look in the weeks coming up at deliverance from sin, how God supernaturally delivers us from sin. We're going to look at the power of God and what does it mean that God, what does God want to do outside of us and work through us in, in terms of displaying his power in supernatural ways? We want to look at gifting and what God wants to do in us and through us. But we're starting today with a title or a topic called Supernatural Grace. Because everything else we're going to unpack in this series starts with the grace of God. Grace is the doorway into the supernatural. So we're talking about supernatural grace, what God did for me today. And grace grants us this access to the supernatural life. But let's start by asking the question, and hopefully I can answer it well enough, is what is grace? Now maybe you've been a believer for 50 years and you've got this down, but can I encourage you just to listen with an open heart so that God can do maybe a fresh impartation for all of us? Uh, certainly was my experience as I was preparing and studying and, and, and so on for this message. It just stuck it went deeper for me as well. And there's many ways to describe grace, and there's many great scholars that got really good definitions. I've picked one that I think is simple enough, at least for me to understand, uh, from George Guthrie. It says, grace is the favor of God towards those who don't deserve it. Grace is the favor of God towards those who don't deserve it. The word favor is very important. 
God has decided, it's in his disposition to be favorable towards us and we cannot possibly deserve it. That is grace for us. More technically, it would be the unmerited favor of God on the objects of his love. Now, when we read about grace in the Bible, there's words that actually sometimes the translators translate differently, but it's the same Greek word perhaps in the New Testament. It's words like favor, it's words like kindness. But then there's another word that's always associated with grace, and that's the word mercy. And I thought it would be helpful just to draw a bit of a distinction this morning to help us understand a little bit of the difference in emphasis between grace and mercy, because they're so commonly used uh, together. So, grace is getting what you do not deserve. Because God has decided to show favor and kindness to you, he gives you what you do not deserve. So the big one is salvation. We do not deserve salvation. We'll talk a little bit about that shortly. We don't deserve God's kindness and favor, but he gives it to us anyway. That's God's grace towards us. Mercy is a little bit different. Uh, Mercy is often used a little bit more when it's linked to judgment. So mercy, we say, is not getting what we do deserve. We deserved punishment for our sins. We deserved the alienation from God because that's what we chose. We deserve to live in the full consequence of our sin. But mercy says you're not going to get what you deserve. So grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's the favor of God. It's his goodness towards you without you doing anything. Mercy is not getting punishment, for example, that is due to you. It's important to understand that grace always is initiated by God towards us. If we want true grace to come through us, to be displayed in our lives and around us, we always rely on God as the source of that grace. And so to start with, and there's so many scriptures on grace and so much to say, so I'm really just doing like a top high level touch on it today. But if you want to know what grace is, if we're ever in doubt what grace is, we always look at the life of Jesus. Because Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is the ultimate demonstration of God's grace. It's where God showed us his disposition towards us, his favor towards us, that he likes us, he wants to be with us, he wants to be in relationship with us. This is showed in the life of Jesus, in the whole life of Jesus. So I want to read some scriptures from John chapter 1. They will come up on the screen. And just to land how Jesus, just a little bit to land this idea that Jesus is the demonstration of God's grace. John chapter 1 verse 14, the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory, the apostle John writes. It's the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. In the beginning of his gospel, John says what Jesus shows most about God is grace and truth. This is important to remember. We, we won't talk too much about it today because we're focusing on grace. But grace and truth always go together. They're held together in Jesus. Grace does not ignore the truth. Grace does not say you're not sinning, you, what you're doing is not acceptable to God. Grace is, it acknowledges the truth of that, but then it shows favor anyway. You cannot separate grace and truth. We have a real sin problem. We have a real alienation from God but in his grace, he shows us favor and he bridges that gap for us. So will you just remember grace and truth cannot be divorced? Otherwise, you get something that some scholars and theologians call cheap grace, that God's just kind to me and it doesn't matter what I do. It really matters what you do. The truth of your life really matters, but God shows grace anyway. Let's drop down a verse, to uh, skip a verse 15, go to verse 16. 
John keeps writing and he says, out of Jesus' fullness, we've all received grace in the place of grace already given is the way the NIV says it. There was grace given through the law and through the Old Testament. God was showing his favor to the world through Israel. But Jesus comes and then there's like grace on top of it. So some of the more literal translations that you may be more familiar with will often talk about grace upon grace. In Jesus, we don't only get some grace, we get an abundant grace, grace on top of grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. Jesus, who is in the closest relationship with the Father, when he comes to the earth, he demonstrates grace. Very important that it starts there. And so we become beneficiaries of this abundant grace upon grace that God gives us. So why do we need grace? Why do we need God's favor in our lives? And this starts at the very beginning, which is always a good place to start. In the Garden of Eden, God creates humanity, mankind, Adam and Eve, and he positions them in a place of paradise. Every single thing they need is provided for them in Eden. They lack nothing. Everything they need physically in their bodies, everything they need emotionally in their minds, their wills and their emotions, in their souls, everything they need in the spirit. It's perfect. Nothing is wrong. They lack nothing. They even walk with God every day. He comes down and he walks with Adam in the cool of the evening. Nothing is lacking. But God wants a response of real love, so he gives real choice. And that choice was given in a command that God gave. He said, you may not eat of the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and, even, good and evil. Sorry. Nothing was withheld from Adam and Eve except do not eat from those two trees. And we're relatively familiar with the story that Eve comes and he deceives Adam and Eve. Interesting, in his deception, he says, did you know that if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you will know for yourself, you'll be like God, and you will know for yourself what is right and wrong. In other words, you'll be able to decide on your own what is good and what is bad. And this temptation is too much for our, let's call them our proto-ancestors, Adam and Eve, and they fall, they disobey God. And so we talk about that man, humanity's fallen, meaning that from that place that we had with God, we turned our backs on him and we walked away. We have fallen. Uh, one of the uh, earlier theologians pre from previous centuries, R.C. Sproul, says, calls this decision to turn away from God cosmic treason. God gave us everything we need and we turned our backs on the giver of life. And we all understand that when we turn our backs on the giver of life, what will naturally follow is death. And suddenly we don't have enough. We lack. We're alienated from God. We're separated from him. And we cannot restore that relationship, no matter what we do. And history and our own lives experience will tell us, no matter what we do, no matter what we try, in our own effort and in our own strength, we cannot bridge that gap back to God because we are fallen it's important to understand that this separation from God has affected every aspect of our lives. It's affected our physical well-being. It's affected our souls, our emotional well-being. It's affected our relationships. It's affected how we think, how we feel, how we act. There is nothing about you that is not affected by the fall, the fall away from God. 
Nothing in your life is not affected by it. And so death enters our human experience and we wrestle and we try to fix this. And we resort, perhaps like the Greeks, to intellect and to wisdom to try and find our way back to God. Or perhaps like the Jews, we try and be supernatural. Or even by Jesus' day, if we look at the Pharisees, we resort to rule keeping. If I can just keep enough rules, then I'll be good enough to get back with God. And then you try harder and you keep more rules. And then you start measuring yourself. Well, you know, I don't do what they do, so I'm just a little bit better because, you see, we all keep the rules that are easy for us and we always judge others on, on our, by our own strengths. At least I do. You don't, obviously. Okay. Because if I'm good at something and someone's not, then I'm better, which means what? I'm more deserving. And maybe God will like me, but it's not good enough. Paul reflects on this in Galatians chapter 2. He's in a bit of a conflict with Peter, and he says to Peter, we've been Jews our whole lives. We're Jews from birth. Our whole lives have been spent trying to be in right relationship with God by keeping the rules, by keeping the laws. And our whole lives, we never got it right. Some of you identify with this. I do. Your whole life, you try to do and it's not enough. And Paul says, we know from our lives that keeping rules and obeying the law doesn't get you back into right relationship with God. Only one thing does. That's the grace that God provides in Jesus Christ. It's God's grace where he says, you don't deserve it. You turned your backs on me. You did what you should not do. You chose wrong. We don't have a vindictive God. We have a God who's, we'll read it now, he's completely motivated by love. And he turns towards us and he says, you can't fix this problem. I will. That's getting what you don't deserve. That is grace. It's only the grace of God that leads us back into relationship with him. And God himself comes in Jesus, as we read in John chapter 1, and he lives in in such a way that we can be back, and he sacrifices himself for us so that we can get what we don't deserve. Now, there's many scriptures that talk about this, particularly in the book of Romans, but I want to read one from the book of Titus, maybe because it's a bit less familiar and can help us think a little bit. We want to read in Titus chapter 3, and if you have a device or a Bible, it will be good to turn there, where Paul tries to, well, not tries, he summarizes what this, how this works and, and what happens in this space. We're going to look at quite a few scriptures in this regard. He writes in Titus uh, from verse, chapter 3, verse 4, he says, When the kindness and love of our Savior appeared. Did you see those words, love and kindness? When God's love and kindness appeared in Jesus, he saved us from our judgment that we deserved from sin, Not because of the righteous things we've done. Nothing you do, no matter how good. You can feed a million people. If you can, please do. But you can feed a million people and it will never bring you into right relationship with God. Not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. We don't get the punishment we deserve. Jesus saved us through the washing of rebirth and by the renewal of the Holy Spirit. He pour, he, he, whom he poured out on us generously. God's grace is generous. He doesn't give you just enough. He gives you more than you need. Generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified, put in right relationship with God by his grace, we might become heirs, we become part of his family, and we have the hope of eternal life. So what grace does, the translation here says it was rebirth by the washing of his spirit. When 
When we are saved by grace, God comes by his Holy Spirit and he makes us new inside. We talk about being born again. He gives us a, he changes the power of sin in us. He does the supernatural miracle, something we could not do for ourselves. And he changes our nature and we become heirs. We become children of God. We become welcomed into his family and he breaks the power of the curse of sin in our lives. But not only that, he gives us a promise of eternal life, that one day we will live with him forever and ever and ever and ever. We will live with God. That is grace. He overcomes our fallenness and he gives us a new life, a new being and a new beginning. And so we are saved by grace. But what is supernatural about it? Simply put this, this is not something we could do in our natural selves. God had to do it. Therefore, the acting of grace in our lives is a supernatural act of God. Ephesians chapter 2, from verse 4 to 9. Paul also writes and he speaks about this. Ephesians 2 is increasingly becoming one of my favorite, favorite scriptures. I think the last time I also said Ephesians 2 is great, so I'm saying it again. But here it speaks specifically about grace. Ephesians 2, 4 to 9. Because of his great love, this is very important, because God loves me, because God loves you, he loves you listening. He loves you if you're watching online. He loves you listening on the radio. Because of God's love, because God is love, love being the highest value. Because of God's love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive, that new life which you've just read about in Christ Jesus when we were dead in our transgressions. Transgressions is sin. It's wrongdoing. It's trying to live for ourselves, please ourselves, Obey the rules, keep right. None of it is good enough. When we were dead in that, it is by grace. It's the favor of God that you have been saved. And God raised us up and seated us with, uh, seat, with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms. So not only do you get saved, but you get positioned by grace with Christ. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Grace is incomparable extends beyond what we can imagine. We may show the incomparable of his riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. We'll talk about that now. It is not from yourselves. There is really nothing you can do. It is a gift of God. In other words, it's not earned. It's not merited. It's just given as a gift. Not by works. There's nothing you can do. So that you can't boast. You cannot say I earned it. I wasn't as bad as the next person. I'm a nicer person than my neighbor. Therefore, I deserve it. Nothing can earn it. This is supernatural. This is not naturally how we think. We live in a world that says if you don't, deserve, if you don't earn it, you don't deserve it. If you haven't worked for it, you can't have it. We live in this very transactional kind of world. And here God comes and he says, none of that. I will pay the price. I'll, I will deal with the truth, because grace and truth go together. I'll deal with the truth of your condition. I will deal with the truth of your fallenness, and I will show you favor, and I'll fix what you cannot fix yourself. And so we get seated. We're also given a favored position with Christ. Not only just saved, but you are seated with Christ. You are shown favor beyond it's not like you're just the worm that made it through the door and slithered in through the crack at the last minute and living in the dust. God doesn't leave you there. That's not his grace. His grace says, I'll take you from there and I'll sit you here with Christ. He shows more kindness to you. 
It's very important for us, particularly if you've been a believer for a while, to understand it's not only salvation that is by grace, but it's your whole Christian life that, is, that flows from God's grace. We are saved by grace, yes, but we are also sustained by grace. We are empowered by grace, and we live by the favor and the grace of God. Every step in the process of our Christian life is due to grace. And the real danger for believers is that you think you're saved by grace and you get into right relationship with Jesus and you're born again and you're made new and then you go back to keeping the rules and you go back to trying to earn God's favor, trying to impress Jesus and then you get tired and you get worn out because you cannot live the Christian life in your own natural strength. You live the whole Christian life by the grace of God. Every step in the process is due to God's grace. But it's also important for us to hear this morning that God's grace demands a response. I'm sure for those of us who've had children, one of the things we teach and we call it manners is that when someone's shown a kindness to our children, give them a gift or something like that, what do we teach them to do? Say thank you. Okay, some of you need to learn that because you didn't know. Okay. When someone shows a kindness to us, we say thank you. There's a response to kindness. It's the same with God's grace, that there's a response required not to earn it, but to respond to it. God's turned his favor on us. The worst thing, the most insulting thing you can do is turn your back on it and go, meh. God has made a provision to fix the biggest problem you have, and you should not be ignoring it. God's grace calls for response. In fact, Paul writes, and it's not going to come up on the screen, but he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, and he says, God's grace to me was not without effect. Other place in 2 Corinthians, he writes, he says, God's grace to me was not in vain. Paul very clearly understood that even though he'd been shown undeserved grace, something that he could never merit or earn on his own, that there was still a response required. And that response, firstly, the response to grace, is faith. It's interesting, not in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we read that it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Faith is the means by which you respond or step into God's grace. What's faith? Faith is believing that what God says is true in its essence. So when God says, if you will turn to me and confess that all this self-effort, all this living by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, determining what is right and wrong for yourself, if you will agree with me that that is the wrong way to live, if you'll turn away from that and turn towards me, reverse that act of cosmic trees and turn towards the author of life, then I will forgive your sins. I've paid a price for them. I'll forgive it. And I will grant you, I'll make you a new being and I'll grant you eternal life. That's the essence of what God promises in salvation. And so faith is saying, God, I'm going to believe that. I'm going to agree with you with what you say about my life and my condition. So the first and appropriate response to any grace that God comes, to any favor God gives us, is faith. Faith is the means of actualizing. It's means of taking what God has provided in his grace and making it real in our lives. But there's an ongoing response also to grace that's required. So secondly, there's a response of service to God and service to others which is always motivated by love, but we respond to God's grace by service to him. Well, God, Father, what do you want me to do? How do I please 
you? How do I respond to the grace you've given me? Not overall, but the grace you're giving me today in my life. I'm facing this tough meeting. I'm going into this difficult family situation. You know the people I work with, Jesus. What grace, what favor is there for me today in that? How do I respond to God in that? How do I serve him in that? And how do I serve others? How do I make it that we can say, like with Paul, that God's grace in my life is not without effect? That God's grace in my life is not in vain? Remember, you cannot step back into works. You cannot step back into self-effort. In fact, Paul says he works harder than everybody, but it's not him working. He's, it's the grace of God in his life. He's so enamored by how the favor and the goodness and the kindness of God in his life that he says, I'm just going to serve everybody I can. I'm going to do everything I can to show God's grace to others. And so I believe that showed and I'm only going to highlight two this morning, is that we need to be faithful stewards of God's grace. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, and you can turn in your Bibles and devices that it will come up on the screen as well. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, Peter writes, he said, each of you should use whatever gift you have received, and we'll talk about gifts a little bit later in the series. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. When I take what God has blessed me with in my life, natural gifts, spiritual gifts, any kind of gift, skill, talent that I've learned, and I use it to serve others, I'm being a faithful steward of the grace of God in my life. It's interesting, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Grace is multifaceted. God's favor doesn't just express itself one way in our lives. It expresses itself in many ways in our lives. And so can we respond as believers to God's grace by recognizing that we need to be faithful stewards of the favor and the kindness that God has shown us in our lives? Second thing I just wanted to highlight this morning is one of the ways this response to God is in kindness. I believe when we show kindness to people who don't deserve it, and you know who I'm talking about. It's that one person. What they deserve is to be put on their place. What they deserve is a demotion. What they deserve is to be told how badly they behave. And then when we show kindness to them, what are we doing? We're showing grace. It's interesting, Ephesians 2 verse 7, it, uh, Paul writes and he says that God wants to show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in the kindness of uh, in the, sorry, let me get it right. In his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So one of the ways God expresses grace to us is he shows kindness. And I think the same applies to us. We show God's grace in our lives to others by being kind to others. That's when they're rude. We respond with soft words and grace. It's when they're in need we show kindness. This is all God's grace working in our lives. You see, you don't do those things to earn favor with God. You've already got God's favor. God's already decided to turn his favor and his kindness to you. And so God expresses his kindness to us, and so should we. Worship team, you guys can slowly make your way to the stage. So we're talking about supernatural grace. It's important to understand no grace, no gospel. No grace, no good news that our relationship with God can be restored. No grace, no good news that our sins have been paid for. No grace, 
No news that I can be born again and washed clean. No grace, no good news that I can receive the power of the Holy Spirit. No grace, no good news that I can live a life of freedom to serve others. Grace is the doorway and the foundation to the whole of Christian life. And so if we want to live naturally supernatural, if we want to live lives that are truly supernatural, we have to understand that it's about grace. You see, if God bestows power on me and we do deliverance and we lay our hands on people and they get healed and there's miracles everywhere, the danger is we start thinking, hey, I think I figured out this Christian thing. Got my inside track with God sorted. It's never. It's never about us. It's never our goodness. It's never what we deserve. It's always the favor of God. It's always the grace of God that comes. No matter how powerful you become in word or in deed, whatever stellar reputation you might get, it is always the grace of God. It's rooted and, founda- rooted and founded in the grace of God. So the grace of God is what God did for me. He regenerated me. He made me into a new person. He positioned me to live his life. He showed kindness to me. We'll see, he gave us gifts. He sets us free from sin. He does all these things that we're going to be talking about in the next three weeks that God does for us. He positions us. It's what God does in our lives. And so this morning, as we bring the message towards a close, the first response for some of you is to respond to God in faith. You've never, you've been trying to please God your whole life. You've been working hard and you just can't get there. All it takes is, I'm going to believe, God, that what you said. I'm going to respond to you in faith. As I was preparing, I had this thought. And maybe it's for someone, maybe it's for a group of people. Um, I don't know. But I'm going to share it because maybe the favor of God can come on somebody's life. Perhaps you've been badly treated your whole life. You've been victimized. And so you've adopted the posture of a victim. All these bad things have happened to me. And I think perhaps there's someone here that there's really bad things that have happened to you. You've been violated. You've been used and abused. It's been bad, real bad. But what that's done is you've adopted the posture of a victim. And then with that, there's come this idea that because I'm a victim, I'm entitled to recompense. I'm entitled that they have to fix this. In fact, it's even gone to the space perhaps in your heart where you think God owes you something. Grace tells us God owes us nothing. And when we come to this place of perhaps we hold, even when wrong things have been done to us, we come to this place of pride in our heart where we think that we're owed, then there's not space for grace in our lives. We want God to work and minister in our lives on our terms and our conditions. It's almost like I see someone sitting going, well, if God wants to save me, he can come here and do it himself. May I invite you this morning to respond to the grace of God, with grace. Respond to God in faith. That faith that says, I've been battling with sin. I can't fix this on my own. I cannot get into right relationship with God. We are saved by grace through faith. Come to God in faith this morning, believing that he can set you free. Some of you have been trying to earn God's favor. Because if you don't earn it, you don't deserve it. You cannot deserve God's favor. Just come 
and abandon yourself on the grace of God this morning. The way you're going to be able to do that is we're going to worship a bit now. And then somewhere in the worship, I'll call for the prayer team to come forward. And if that's you, that you've never responded to God, or perhaps you were in good relationship with God and you've just turned your back and you've grown cold, I want you to invite you this morning, just a little bit later, to come and let someone pray with you so that you can come back to that place of faith, that you can come back to that place of standing in grace. That's the first response, the response to salvation, to God's, or to recommit your life to serve God. The second response is the response of being a faithful steward. Where you are on your front line, that place that God has put you to be Jesus, that place that God has put you to show his kingdom. Won't you think of an opportunity in this week where you can take the grace of God and show kindness, where you can be a good steward of God's grace, where you can, in the natural space, without getting weird, without getting strange, without getting, you know, that look in your eye, you can just be kind to somebody. You can offer them a kindness they don't deserve. Don't pick someone who deserves it. That's not grace. Grace is pick someone who doesn't deserve it and show kindness to them in the week. Let's be faithful stewards of God's grace. Last thought, and then we're going to worship a bit, and then we'll make some time for prayer and for ministry. If I in my natural self decide to show favor, to show grace to somebody, that is limited by my humanness. It's limited by what I can possibly do. It's limited by perhaps the resources I have. It's limited by my emotional energy or capacity. How kind can I be and how long can I be kind? And yes, there's an empowering of the Holy Spirit that lets us go beyond our natural selves. That is part of being supernaturally natural, which is when God empowers us to go beyond ourselves. But our kindnesses are limited. But when God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who is all-powerful and all-knowing, who is unlimited, decides to turn his favor on us, there's a power that comes in our lives because he's not limited. God's favor on us in kindness is not limited, except by us if we don't respond to his grace. And so when we talk about God's grace on our lives, there's really an unlimited provision in God for kindness. It's part of this kindness that gives us the Holy Spirit to live in us, that empowers us to go beyond our natural selves and live for Him and to show Him and to display, just like Jesus did in John 1, we have beheld His glory to display the glory of God in people's lives. This is supernatural grace. So can I invite you to stand? We're going to sing perhaps one song in response to the grace of God and then we'll close the service in prayer. Father, as we stand in this place of worship, we respond now to your grace and say, in our praise and in our adoration of you, you are the worthy one. We respond to your favor, your kindness, your grace on our lives. You're worthy of it all. Of every thought, every action, every moment of our lives, you are the worthy one. And so we want to respond this morning to the grace of God. And can I invite maybe the pastors and the prayer ministry team just to come to the front. And we want to make some time. If you need any prayer for anything, but particularly if you want to respond to the grace of God in terms of salvation this morning, won't you come up to 
one of those in front as we close the service and just say to them, I need to respond to Jesus this morning. But perhaps there's another area of your life where you've been wrestling and you've been battling and you're not getting breakthrough. Won't you come also just for breakthrough in those areas? Respond and trust God. Let's trust God for more of His grace to come on your lives. And so we're going to continue worshiping. I'm closing the service now just in, in terms of the official closing. So if you need any prayer just for the grace of God in your life, come, but particularly salvation. Then if you're new to Hatfield, you want to know more about us, just in the foyer hall on the left uh, as you go out, there's the Connect Lounge. Uh, we just love to tell you a little bit more about ourselves. And then please remember for the Women's Discipleship Morning, just that the tickets are on sale there with Pastor Tanya and Pastor Treva at the booth in the foyer. But let's worship the Worthy One now. And as we're worshiping, won't you come? And we'd love to pray with you and minister to you. Uh, the elders can also join us. It would be wonderful. Thank you. And may the Lord bless you. May He keep you as you go into this week. And may you know the grace of God in every space you find yourself in this week. In Jesus' name. Amen.